All right, let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17. This is a passage in the Bible that many of us know very well. And sometimes I think it's possible to know a passage so well and to become so familiar with it that we can, it's very easy for us to miss some of the main points of it. You know, most people think that David and Goliath is just a battle about good and evil, and certainly it is. You know, Goliath is a type of Satan, the one who is roaring like a lion, and, and that's what the, Peter tells us, that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking, going throughout the earth, seeking whom he may devour. He is a roaring lion. He's got a loud mouth, and he's, he's, he's very much intimidating. He's very much, uh, he knows how to intimidate our flesh. He knows how to excite us and how to get us to do things in, in a hurry and to do things in a panic and do things, you know, in, in, in a hurry. And he's very good about that. He knows the flesh. He is the king of all flesh. Satan is. And Goliath is a type of Satan. And we see young David having come just from the fields of his father, Jesse. And I want you to remember this. I said it last week, but I'll say it again. Think of David tonight. You know, he's a very familiar character, and he's a historical person. This event that we're reading about is not a children's story. Just like Jonah is not a children's story. That really happened, folks. This event really happened. And David, this young man, insignificant to his family. In fact, when Samuel, when God told Samuel to go down to Bethlehem from Ramah, where Samuel had lived, he told him to go down to Ephrathah which is in Bethlehem, and to invite Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice. And there he was to anoint David. At the time, Samuel didn't know who he was going to anoint because Jesse had eight sons, and and David was the youngest of the eighth. And you recall that all of them came before Samuel, and God said, that's not the one, that's not the one, that's not the one. And then finally, they got through all seven of them, and, and the Lord says, this is not the one. And so naturally, Samuel's going, is there... You got anybody left, Jesse? We got a problem here. It's a numbers issue. He said, Oh, yeah. There's a, a youngest out in the field. His name's David. And, and, and Samuel's like, Well, go get him. We're not going to sit. We're not going to sit down until you bring him. And so they come and they bring him. And at this time, I want you to remember that put out of your mind all of your information that you've learned from David. Think of this time, and as we go through Samuel, try to erase all the stuff that you know about him. It'll help you understand how insignificant he was to his own family, much less the children of Israel. His own dad didn't think it was necessary to call him to the feast. So he was unimportant. Do you ever felt that way? Maybe you're the youngest in your family. Maybe you have felt unimportant. Maybe you don't have the skills that somebody else has. And therefore, you've been passed over for promotions, and you've been passed over and passed over, and you seem insignificant. You seem not really uh, necessary. Many people feel that way. And David is a type of Jesus, in a sense. We're going to see why tonight as we go through. And so, Jesse sends his son to the battlefield, because remember, the, the Philistines are are gathering together, and remember, they are um, amassing on the hill called Sochow. 
and the children of Israel are on the other side, on another side of the mountain, on the other part of the valley of Elah, and in the middle is a valley. And Goliath comes out. For 40 days he did this, morning and in the evening. He came out and he taunted them. He blasphemed the God of Israel. He blasphemed and disdained the armies of Israel. And this guy was over 9 feet tall, probably close to 10 feet tall. He had a coat of mail on him that was somewhere between 150 to 200 pounds. He had a spear in his hand. The head of it was 15 to 25 pounds. And it was like a weaver's beam. You wouldn't even need to be pierced through with this thing. It just hits you and it knocks you unconscious. It's so big. And here he comes in all of his flesh and all of his brawn. He comes out in the middle of the field and he starts cursing and he starts belittling. And the armies of Israel, you recall, and we looked at this in the first 27 verses last week, they are all quaking in their boots. And he did this for 40 days. And Saul, being the tallest, the Bible says that when, when Saul, Saul was the head and shoulders taller than anybody else in Israel. And Saul was a man of, he had some experience in battle. It should have been Saul that went out on the field. Because it was one of those deals where they had a representative from each side coming out, and whoever won, that's who would serve the other, or would be served by the other. Instead of all the collateral damage, just get, two, just get two of the biggest guys on the field, let them put on the boxing gloves and let them have it, and whoever wins, the other team serves them. And Saul should have been the one. He was certainly bigger. He had the armor. He had everything. But the Bible says something really interesting for us. It says in verse, in chapter 16, it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from the moment he was, that Samuel anointed him. But it says this, too, about Saul. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And notice, a distressing spirit, in other words, a demonic spirit from the Lord troubled him. Well, that's, that'll mess your theology up. The Lord allowed a distressing demonic spirit to come and harass Saul, to create havoc, to create confusion, and, and, and give him problems. And finally, so David is told by his father, go to the battlefield. They've been doing this for 40 days. Go down to meet your brothers, because three of his oldest brothers were in the army. And so he goes there, and he's supposed to deliver uh, some, some food for his brothers, uh, some cheese for the captain of thousands that they were a part of. And his brothers see him there. And David asks, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that taunts the armies of God and defies the name of God? And the army said, that's Goliath. And everyone is shaking. And he says, what's going to happen to the guy who takes him out? And I'm paraphrasing here. He said, well... You're going to be a wealthy man. Saul the king is going to give you his daughter to marry, so you'll be a son-in-law to the king. That's a pretty big deal. And also, your whole family is not going to be taxed anymore. That's a pretty good deal as well. And David could care less about the money. And while he was there, the champion of Goliath of the Philistines comes out again, and he, he starts it up again, and David's looking at him. And David, his anger is stirring up in him. And he's like, who is this guy to defy God, 
Notice, if you, know, if you read this passage over again sometime, notice how often David doesn't talk about himself at all. It's all about the glory of God, and there is the secret. He wasn't concerned about his own popularity. He could care less. And so he says, you know what? I want to go out and take care of this guy. God gives him the faith. And notice, the Spirit of God is upon David, but it departed from Saul. So finally, word gets back to Saul. So Saul brings David. He says, what do you want to do, young man? And of course, Saul knew David because David had been playing the harp before him whenever this demonic spirit came upon him or harassed him. But maybe a few years had gone by here, and he didn't recognize exactly who he was because children grow, perhaps. But he's like, all right, if you're going to go out, you're going to need to put on my coat of mail because you got nothing. So he puts his, all this armor on, Saul's armor, he puts it on. He gives him his sword and he puts the helmet on. And David looks like this, I can just imagine, he's like probably that tall. And he's got all this stuff weighing him down. And he looks like one of those, like Gimli from the Lord of the Rings before he goes out to battle. He's just laden with the coat of mail and it goes down to the floor. And David says, I can't do this. I haven't tried it. I haven't, I haven't tested it. But his brothers disdain him. His older brothers, as he's coming to the front line, and certainly Jesse, their father, wanted to get a report back of how they were doing. And while he's there, they are looking at David, these three older brothers, and they're, they're getting on his case. And so we actually pick up at verse 28. And so let's do that uh, right now. 28. It says, Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with an an emphasis mine, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Because David was a shepherd, and before he came out to the field to greet his brothers, to give them food to eat, and get a report to bring back to his father, which he did by being obedient, by the way, You know, they're saying he had to leave the sheep with somebody. So his older brother is kind of upbraiding him. Whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. In other words, you've come down to see bloodshed. You know how people sometimes when they go by an accident scene, and we're all guilty of it, you drive by and the whole car is mangled and you're like, and then you hit somebody in front of you because they stop and you smash them in the front. That's what they're accusing David of. You know, it's something you don't see every day and it kind of takes you by surprise. And they're saying, you just come down to see bloodshed. You just come down to see blood and guts. And that's farthest from the truth. David was simply being obedient to his father. And in this way, Jesus and David are similar Because Jesus came to do the Father's will, correct? And so did David. David wasn't there of his own volition. He was very happy to be out in the field ministering to those sheep of his dad's. Something he knew well. But now he's here, and his brothers have a problem with it. I love in John chapter 1, verse 11, it says that Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And this is exactly what happened with David as he comes, and his brothers begin to disdain him. So Eliab, he scorned him. And it's not uncommon, is it, for the oldest in a group of boys especially? Can you imagine growing up with eight boys in the house? I bet David's mother was fit to be tied. 
How many gallons of goat's milk do you got to have for eight boys growing up as they eat their Count Chocula and Cheerios? Gallons upon gallons of growing boys drinking milk like four gallons a day, five gallons. In this word, in, in, in verse 28, where it says Eliab's anger was aroused, it, what it means is the idea behind this word is his, his nostrils were flaring. And no doubt there was some history there between the oldest and the youngest, as there usually is. I was the youngest in my family. My brother was much older than I was. So there was always this rivalry. I love him now, but back when I was, you know, when he was in his teenage years, I didn't like him so much. But I love and respect him now. And we have a good relationship. But he, he and I were like a David and Goliath. I was David and Goliath. And maybe before the evening's over, if I got time, I'll tell you a little story. My David and Goliath experience with my brother. It's really wonderful. But I'll, I'll pause it. So notice in verse 28, it says, And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I find it interesting that his older brother, he's now attacking David for the thing that he did really well. David was a good shepherd. He was a good shepherd, and he took it very seriously. And it's interesting because Eliab, as part of Saul's army, he should have been doing what he was responsible for, and that was for standing up for the people of Israel. That was his responsibility. So you can imagine how incensed he is, you know, knowing that David does his job really well, and now he's coming to the battlefield, being the youngest part of this whole regiment, and he shows up, and he's the only one who's got the faith to stand up against this, you know, genetic nightmare of Goliath. And his brothers are incensed. Eliab is just looking at him going, man, I just, you know, you can see it. An older brother, just jealous of him, that he's got the faith to do it, and and not even believing that he could follow through with it. And Eliab's indignation, I believe, is partly due to his own shame that now his brother is willing to also fulfill his role. His role is to be in battle or to go out. And now David's going to fulfill that. Can you see how that could incense somebody? Could make them angry? Notice at the end of that verse 2, he says, For you have come down to see the battle. And David wasn't there to, for some, out of some morbid curiosity that some people have. You know, don't be surprised when you're ridiculed and persecuted, like David was from his older brothers, because you are, because you are walking in obedience to your father, and that's exactly what he was doing. You will find often that when you are obedient to God, you're going to get the business from other people, even other Christians who really aren't walking in the Spirit, but rather walking in the flesh. Even brothers and sisters in Christ whose walk is not quite right, they will look at you because you are being obedient. They're going to persecute you. It's not so much the outside of the church that has a problem with Christians. Sometimes it's people within the church. It's been said that the church is the only army that shoots its own wounded. Why is that? When we're together, shouldn't we be building each other up? Shouldn't we be loving each other? We're all in different places. We're all in different seasons of life. We all have different problems and issues that God is working on. Shouldn't we love each other and hold each other up instead of comparing ourselves with each other and nitpicking and gossiping behind each other's back? God hates that. He hates it. And we ought to grow and love each other. In Matthew's gospel, in chapter 5, Jesus, in his 
on the Mount of Beatitudes there on the west side of the, of the uh, Sea of Galilee, he said this to his disciples. He said, blessed are you when, you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. David's certainly being persecuted. And don't be, again, don't be surprised when you want to do the right thing, when you want to serve the Lord with all of your heart in sincerity and purity and holiness, that chances are you may not be exactly liked. But who cares? Seriously. Who cares what anybody thinks about you? Our estimation should only be, we should only be concerned with God's estimation of us. And it's very normal, it's very natural to want to be loved by people. But if that is the way it is with you all your life, you're going to be hurt most of your life. Learn to get your focus off of people and onto God and say, Lord, I don't care about any, I, I love these people, but I want to be right in your eyes first and foremost. If I can do that, then you take care of all this. And don't even be concerned with what people think. I'd rather be careful about what God thinks. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul said to his young protege, he said, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you're doing the right things, things are going to happen. The devil, he leaves Christians alone who are compromised and don't do anything for the kingdom. But if you're doing things for the Lord and you're doing them out of obedience, be prepared. There's going to be challenges. And don't be afraid of that either. Rejoice, he said. Isn't that what Jesus said? Rejoice, for great will be your reward in heaven. I can be so focused down here that I forget that where I'm ultimately going to be for eternity. Think of that. I'm 51 right now, and who cares what happens or who I might offend by telling them the truth for the next 20, 30 years on this earth, if I make it that far. I'm going to spend eternity with the king of kings. Eternity, that never ends. How many lifetimes can you fit into eternity? As many as you can think. In Isaiah 53, what did it say about Jesus? Isaiah prophesying some 700 years before Christ was incarnate in the flesh through the Virgin Mary. It says that he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Certainly it's speaking of Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross and his whole family even deserted him, even all of his disciples at the end. Only John and a handful of women were there at the, at the, resurrection, or at the uh, crucifixion. And very similar to David as he is suffering persecution under his brothers. Notice in verse 29, back in our text, it says, David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? And you can tell by the reply, it's evident that he and Eliab were probably always at odds with one another. Typical sibling rivalry. Maybe you had that with your brothers or sisters. And I imagine this tension would have only been greater seeing that David's brothers They were present when Samuel anointed him as king. Even though it would take a handful of years before it would actually come to pass, God's hand was already on David, and Saul began to decline, and David began to excel. And God's hand was upon him. The Spirit of God was upon David, but the Spirit of God left Saul, and often a 
distressing spirit would come upon him. So in verse 30, it says, Then he turned, David turned him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did, concerning what the reward would be for killing Goliath. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. So Saul says, Who is this young man? Bring him. And so in verse 32, David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail him because of Goliath. And notice what he says, Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Notice that first he was a servant. Even though David had been anointed king, and in all sense, in all sense and you know, purposes, he was God's anointed king. And Saul was diminishing. But yet David didn't think too highly of himself. He didn't walk up and say, Hey, buddy, I'm the new king in town. Hop off the throne. Need to have somebody measure this and make it a little shorter for me. No, he didn't do that at all. Notice he said, your servant will go and fight this Philistine. It's at this moment, I believe, that David proved that he was the rightful king. Even though he wasn't usurping, he wasn't demanding anything. David came as a servant first, and that is why God could make him such a great king. I love that. And Psalm 75, verse 6 says, For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. And that's exactly what's happening here with Saul and David. God is going to be putting down Saul, and he's going to raise David to be one of the greatest kings Israel ever had. Notice verse 33 back in our text. So Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. You're just a short little stubby guy. You don't have any experience whatsoever. You're going against a very seasoned war hero. What do you think you're going to do to him? In other words, you're out of your league. You're going to get killed. And again, Saul lacked the faith, the conviction that David had. And if you think of it, what a, what a wet blanket Saul was to David's faith. David knowing in his heart that God was going to give him victory, and we'll see that shortly, and Saul to come along and just put a wet blanket over him. You're not, are you kidding me? What do you, what do you, it's a death wish. What's the matter with you? You need to go, go to counseling. You need a pill. You need to take a pill. You got ADHD, David. You need to take Ritalin. You will find that those who demonstrate great faith are often displayed by the un, are often despised, excuse me, by the unfaithful and the cowardly. It's true. There's an old phrase that says, Misery loves company. Saul was miserable. He knew his time was up. Everything was falling apart on him. He didn't have any conviction, didn't have any faith at all. And now he sees this young buck coming up. And you know how that is, guys. Maybe you've been in the workforce. Maybe you haven't been doing your job, and you've gotten used to things, and you're just kind of riding, the, you know, just kind of laying low and doing the very bare minimum. And then some young guy fresh out of college comes in. He's all full of zeal and willing to do anything and smart, too. And, you know, and he just comes in and lights a fire under you. And you have a choice. I can either love this guy and rise to the occasion and help him out and, and be part of something good, or I can tear him down. And usually the opposite happens. Saul was without power and assumed the same thing for David, but David had a secret. And what is that secret? It tells us in Zechariah 4, verse 6, Not by might nor by power, 
but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's not going to be with a sword. It's not going to be with a fancy rifle. It's not going to be with some kind of uh, experience and warfare. I'm going to go out in the name of the Lord and my shepherd's staff and my sling and a handful of stones. That's all I've got. And Goliath has got all these, he's got this javelin here in the center of his chest. and He's got a weaver, you know, this spear, and he's got a sword. and He's got a guy going out in front of him with a shield. I mean, the guy is like completely decked out. He looks, he looks like a tank coming out onto the field. But he's got this one little area around where his helmet is. It's a target for David. <laughs> this little, the only thing that's not covered is this little area right here with Goliath's big nose, his Gentile nose sticking out. Probably got a big wart at the end of it. And I wonder if David's three older brothers, as they're hearing this, are going, oh, brother, you care? You, you're going to let him go out? Are you serious, Saul? It's going to be a bloodbath. He's going to rip his arms off. Sorry to be so graphic. It's a pretty graphic chapter, I think. But Saul wasn't used to walking by faith. The last time we saw an act of faith was when Jonathan, his own son, took on the Philistines in chapter 14. You can read that. Jonathan had more faith in his father. And we're going to find that in the next chapter, that David and Jonathan, their souls were knit together. They, they were both men of faith, and they loved each other. And Jonathan gladly, gladly bowed to David and said, you know, I will serve you. I'll even give you my, 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 my robe, everything that I have. I, 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 he was so enamored by this man's faith. And kindred spirits they were. They, they, were they, they loved each other as men. They were friends. That's what real brotherhood is, isn't it? When you, just, when you really love each other, it's nothing weird. It's, it's a genuine, real respect. It's like, I would take a bullet for you. I would take the sword for you because I, I respect you. you got the same heart as I do. Verse 34, it says, But David said to Saul, Your servant, notice, again, your servant, David, being very respectful, very understanding very well who was before him, your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. You know, I'm just hoping in glory the Lord shows us the real. You know, he puts, he puts, the, he puts the real on and he, he pulls through the tape and watch this. We'll watch it again, right? And all of creation, we're sitting there going, yeah, play the David thing again. I want to see that. And David's going, oh, man. I do. I think that we will. I think I, I'm just weird enough to think that God will show us these things because he's able. Show us the whole thing, Lord, from beginning to end. We got eternity. We got time. I want to see what David looked like when he was running out onto the field. We'll get there. We'll get there. So David had already had some experience with the Lord's deliverance concerning his enemies out in the, in the, in the shepherd's fields with his, with his father's sheep. And this situation to David was really no different, just a different animal to kill. He says, your servant, verse 36, has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. And I love that faith of his. Notice he didn't, he didn't say, this uncircumcised Philistine, it's, it's possible that, you know, he's going to be like one of them. No, he was like, he's going to be just like one of them. He's going down. And David wasn't boasting in any of his own strength. God gave him a supernatural faith and a strength. His, he was full of zeal and confidence in God. 
And what I think is interesting, too, is if being a king was something that God had ordained for him because he was anointed king prior to this, David had to believe that, God, if you're giving me this, this enough courage to go out and do this, then I've got to believe that you're going to give me victory because you've, you've called me the king of Israel, and I don't understand that. I don't even feel it right now as a 17-year-old kid. I don't understand it. I don't feel it, but I believe it because that's what you said. And David had that kind of relationship with God. When God said something, he was just foolish enough to believe it. Shouldn't we? When we read the Bible, shouldn't we just believe what God says instead of arguing with him? But Lord, I got a better way. I can do it better. I can get it done quicker. There's a way we can get it done quicker. And God's like, I don't care about how long it takes. I'm concerned about the process in between. Do you know that? He's concerned about the process because in the process is where we grow. That's where our faith is examined. That's where we are examined. It's where we grow. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and Jehovah be with you. (laughs) I love what Alan Redpath said concerning this. He says, David had the anointing, and I quote, David had the anointing of God upon him because of faithfulness in the obscurity in in his home life, because there he had passed the test. He was anointed by the Spirit of God alone in private before he came out into the public arena to stand in the name of the Lord. Isn't that so wonderful to think about? All those times in the, in the fields, he didn't realize God was preparing him for something. And we don't always understand what God is doing. He's preparing us. Everything that you've gone through, you may think of it as an accident. You may think that it's something that doesn't make sense. But God sees something else. He sees... I'm doing this, and you're going through this hardship because I've got something else for you, and you need to be prepared. And the only way I can prepare, for it, prepare it, you for it is to go through what you're going to go through. You don't understand it now, but you will. And you know, I look back even in my own life, and I see certain things that God has done in my life. And at the time, I was completely confounded by it. And then later on, I started to get a, an understanding. Wow, Lord, I can see how you might have allowed that for this. He's like, yeah. You didn't know at the time, did you? And I'm like, no, I had no idea. I didn't even know you then. And this is often where the Lord does his best work. Unbeknownst to us in our trials and difficulties, God's strengthening us. He's training us, encouraging us to trust him, growing in our faith in him. It's in the secret place of preparation that God does his greatest work that he might unveil it at a later time when the stakes are much higher. I like that. And it makes everything that I'm going through and the things that I've gone through even this last year that many of us have gone through in the last year. As a nation, we've gone through things this last year that we would never want to go through again. So so Saul clothed David with his armor and put a bronze helmet on his head, and he also clothed him with a coat of mail. A coat of mail are those little sequined, it looks like sequins, but they're metal things, and, and they're all woven, and they're over each other so that a sword can't pierce it. And, and it's a great protection. But Saul had always trusted in anything else but other than God. And what a dichotomy there was between Saul and David. David trusted God, and David trusted God with very little 
But Saul needed to have all of this stuff, and even then he didn't trust God. <laughs> That's interesting. So Saul's going, hey, before you go out to this guy, you better put on some. Here, you got to take this. Here, you got to take this. You got to put this helmet on. And oh, by the way, here's my sword. And David puts all this stuff on, and he probably is just, oh, this is, you know, his face is probably all red. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding in all of your ways. Acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. David was certainly trusting the Lord. Saul was not. And notice what it says in verse 39. David fastened his sword to his armor, Saul's sword that is, and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I can't walk with these, for I have not tested them. And so David took them off. What a wise man. What a wise man. David was not used to armor and swords. He was used to his staff and a comfortable little sling. And while it may not be bad to be open to new things, we should be very careful when we are forced into something that we have not proved ourselves. It's important that we prove things and even prove them under harsh conditions and times conditions that are going really well. David proved his staff and sling over and over again out in the field. A carpenter, when he has his favorite hammer, he knows how, how hard to swing that hammer. It becomes part of him. It, it looks old and nasty because he's used it for hundreds of hours of time, building houses and rough framing. He knows the weight of that hammer. He knows just how much he needs. And any of you who swing a hammer, you know you've got a favorite hammer, and that hammer, you know it. You, you, you've, you've proved it. When you hit that nail, you know just how hard to hit it. You give a man a new hammer that he's never used before, and it throws off his equilibrium. <laughs> All of a sudden, he's, not, he's got to figure this thing out. He's got to prove it. You get the idea. It's like somebody giving me a different guitar than the one I'm used to using. Remember when we went to Israel this last March, I, I had this guitar, and his brother was so faithful to let me borrow his guitar, and it was a, it was a cheaper guitar than the one I have, and, and you don't want to bring anything really fancy over there, by the way, because you've got to go through all these checkpoints and airplanes, and anything can happen, and usually does, but the guitar just wouldn't stay in tune. I mean, I had wrestled with it the whole trip and just always tuning the thing, but I knew my guitar, I could tune it once, and I could play for hours, and it would be just fine. I didn't really, I, I tried to prove it before I went, and I sort of did, but it was still a problem for me. But see, David hadn't proved it. He hadn't proved this armor. He had proved his staff. He knew that. He knew his sling. He was confident in his God. And notice verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And if you remember, I had a graphic up on the screen last week about where this battle was, and there is a stream, and I actually was in that stream not too long ago and walked that stream, and there from that stream is when David picked up those five smooth stones. And there's smooth stones there today. It's a, fun, it's a fun place to be, to actually see the land and see where it all came out. It's really exciting. So he puts the five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and a sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And five stones... Why five stones? Now, this is conjecture, okay, conjecture. It could be that David maybe wanted to have enough stones in case he missed. I certainly would want one. If my nerves got the best of me as I'm going out against this nine-foot-nine, you know, nightmare, I would want to have extra ammo in the bag. Or could it be 
that David also knew something else about Goliath, or maybe he was told is that Goliath had four other brothers, just as big and ugly as he was. We'll look at that. In fact, in 2 Samuel, and again, this is the conjecture, but we believe it's pretty close to the truth here. In 2 Samuel chapter 21, just write this down, but I'll read it to you, beginning in verse 15. It says, When the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David and his servants, and this is much later in time, of course, David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines, and David grew faint. He was older then. And then Ishbi Binab, who was one of the sons of the giant, who was Rapha, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, who was wearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. And then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall not go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. And it happened afterward that there was again another battle with the Philistines at Gob, and Sibachai, the Hushathite, killed Saph, who was one of the sons of the giant. So now we have two sons of, of Rapha, the giant. And there was war at Gob with the Philistines, and where El-Hanan, El, El the son of jair Orajim, the Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. 1 Corinthians 20, verse 5, tells us that Goliath also had another brother whose name was Lami. But back in verse 20 now to 2 Samuel 21, it says, Yet again, there was war at Gath. There was a man of great stature. Check this out. <laughs> Who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. Twenty-four in number, and he was also born to the giant. So when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, this is uh, Shimei is actually Shammah, which is David's brother. He killed him. And notice, these four were born to the giant in Gath, which is where, Dave, or where Goliath came from and fell by the hand of David and by his servants. So back in our text, verse 41, So the Philistine came and, being, and began drawing near to David. And, and again, uh, if you saw the picture that I had up on the screen, it's just a valley, beautiful valley. It's a farm field now. And here David is coming out, and Goliath is coming out. The armies on each side of the mountains, and they are down in the valley getting ready for this duo, this showdown. And David and the man who bore the shield uh, went, uh, I'm sorry, so the Philistine came, verse 41, and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield of Goliath went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw, underline that, looked about and saw, when the Philistine, when Goliath looked, and he looked about and he saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth. He was ruddy and good-looking. And this is so typical of the flesh, because in the flesh, we size everything up in the flesh. We look at it and we go, that's a big guy, but I need a bigger gun. <laughs> right? And that's exactly what Goliath is doing, because that's all he's ever done. He's a man of the flesh. He's looking at David going... You know, think of this. He's looking down upon him, you know, and he's thinking, what's this? Are you kidding me? Of, of all the army of Israel, this is what you send out? And you can just see the defenses of Goliath. He's like, <laughs> you can just see his helmet, and he's just kind of rolling back and going, oh, this is going to be fun. I can't wait to rip this guy's arms off. 
the man of flesh, Goliath, could only see with his eyes and figure things out in the natural. He was unaware at that time, incapable of seeing how God was going to use this young man of little experience to defeat him. So verse 43, so the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, lowercase g. And so the stick that he's referring to is David's shepherd's staff. So David has his staff in his hand, and Goliath says, Are you, you going to come out with me with a stick? Are you, are you serious? Have you been sniffing glue? You're going to come out to me with a stick? Am I a dog? <laughs> and the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Goliath's intention was bodily harm. And notice, then David said to the Philistine, and I love this, this is the stuff that makes great movies, but I'm glad there hasn't been a movie made about this, although I'd love to see it. He says, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You have defied. You're coming at with me with all this armament, and I've got nothing but the word of God. I've got the word of God on my side, and I've got this sling and to Goliath, he's thinking, what's that? It's like a fly to me. You throw a rock at my, at my head, it's going to be like a fly. What's that? It just went by my ear. Oh, it must have been a gnat. Verse 46, this day, notice the, the zeal and the confidence of David, and I love this. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. Now, did David have a sword? Did David have a sword? He didn't have a sword at all. He's already got it figured out. The Lord has already shown him, I believe, the whole thing. And all he had to do was follow through. <laughs> he says, I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Again, notice his confidence. David was not only going to do what Goliath said he was going to do to David, but David even upped the ante and says, I'm going to take your head off as well. How's that? And you can imagine this warrior just teeming with anger going, oh, I can't wait to get a hold of this guy. Can't wait to get a hold of him. And he's probably just vibrating, just waiting. Because he is taunting. Now David is taunting him, poking his finger, and God has given him the grace to do it. And God is probably telling him, David, say this. This is really going to make him really angry. And then, and then say this. And then tell him that he's a mama's boy. And, and, and say, what is that, Saul? Or what is that, Goliath? Is that, is that pink armor? Oh, well, sorry, it's just the sun, the way it's hitting. It kind of looked pink. You look like, you know, you should be part of, you know. But I love this. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And that's where David was. He was already seeing the whole thing done. And that's why David could say, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air. And I'm going to take your head off from you. And I can imagine he's looking at David and going, what are you going to do? Are you going to knock me, hit me several million times with a stick? What are you gonna, how are you going to do that, David? You're not getting this sword from me. Bring it on. <laughs> Bring it on. Verse 47, Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, David says, for the battle is whose? Is it David's? 
Is it Saul? Is it, is it even the king of Israel or the people of Israel? No, he says, the battle belongs to the Lord, and it's the Lord's battle, and he will give you into our hand. Notice, he changes the pronoun now. He will give you into our hands. It's not only about me and you, Goliath, but he is going to give you, the whole army, to us. And I love that about David. It wasn't all about him at all. Now he's including all of his brothers who are in the background, just their jaws are hitting the ground and going, I hope this turns out good. Notice that David mentioned God's name, Jehovah's name, three times in verse 46 and 47. Whenever you see the Lord in all caps like that, that's Jehovah, Yahweh, the covenant-making God. I love in Psalm 18, David says this, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. He's my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. And as David is looking at Goliath and he's about ready to run out, he's thinking, you know, that, I was thinking of that Psalm of David. He goes, and David was already thinking about this. Probably wrote it afterwards, but he says in Psalm 55, verse 23, But you, O God, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. And that's exactly what happened with Goliath. In the prime of his life, in the prime of his manhood, God was going to allow him to be vanquished. In Psalm 56, verse 3, Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do to me. That's a really good thing to pray when you're up against a battle that you can't seem to win, that the enemy is saying, you're nothing. You're going to lose big time. You might as well just go home. Psalm 61, hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you, and when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever, and I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Love that. David, just so full of faith in God. Do you know that you can be full of faith in God? And do you know that it honors God when you are full of faith in him? When you love him and trust him and do what he says and leave all the details up to him, you just do the right thing and let the details fall out however they will. That's the secret. If, you try to, if you're looking at all the details and think, well, if I do this right thing, all hell's going to break loose, it probably will, and it may. But whose problem is that? Is it yours? No, it's God's. You do the right thing and let him deal with the rest. He's got big shoulders. He can take it, and he will honor you for doing so. Honor the Lord. Trust him. Verse 48, so it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Notice, David wasn't scurrying away. He was running with great zeal and anticipation to end this standoff. He's running out into the field. And then David, verse 49, put his hand. Now, I love this. He's running. And then it says, then. So he's on his way. He's running out to meet Goliath. And can you imagine Goliath's face? He's probably thinking to himself, you know, I'm going to. As each moment passes, as he's running toward him, he's probably going, hmm, there's something about this lad that I'm a little bit apprehensive about. He's awfully confident. And again, David wasn't confident in himself, he was confident in the Lord. 
And I bet he got a little worried. He started to get a little worried as he sees David's face like flint, and he just ran out to meet him. And he's running, and as he's running, he pulls in into his bag, and he pulls out this stone, and he puts it in the sling, and he starts whipping it. And he's running. He's still running, and he's getting this thing, momentum going. And remember, he's got a target about this big. And David is just doing that, and he's just running at him, and he's got that and he's just running, running, and running. And David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, he slung it, and it struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. What's that? The bigger they are, the harder they fall. And so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David, Notice, remember David said, I'm going to take your head from you this day. But David didn't have a sword. Whose sword was he going to use? He knew from the very beginning that God is going to give him into my hand, and I'm going to do it with this stone. And when he's knocked unconscious, I'm going to take his own sword, and I'm going to do the business. I love that. This is the kind of stuff where, guys, can you feel the adrenaline? I mean, you ladies are probably going, oh, this is so, such like a guy thing, but it really is. And, and, and I love it. I just, I get so excited. I was thinking about having a live reenactment. You know, get a really big guy and a small guy and, and actually do and give them swords and have them go at it. It would be kind of fun to do in a sanctuary, wouldn't it? Or not. <laughs> All right, come on, lighten up, laugh a little bit. All right, we're good? Okay, all right. Now the men of Israel and Judah rose. Can you imagine? They're all excited. David does it. He does exactly what the Lord told him to do. And so everyone is excited because this is it. This is the end of the battle. And so they pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley into the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Shearim, even as far as Gath and Ekron. And then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine, Goliath, and he brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. And then when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? Now, Saul knew who David was, but because David, remember, is insignificant, he was just a guy who played the guitar before Saul. And he probably didn't pay much attention to him. He was just a, you know... Just someone there to help Saul. You know, he really didn't, oh, oh, David, okay, I'm surprised he remembered his name. But he's like, who is him? Who is his father? Who is his family? Who is this guy? He said to Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I don't know. So the king said, inquire whose son is this young man, who this young man is. And then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of Philistine of, of Goliath in his hand. I can imagine David as this, can you imagine? I mean, I just, I gotta, I gotta do this, sorry, but just, you know, grab by the hair. He's probably got the, you know, big oily locks, you know, probably this big dark hair, you know, and he just grabbed it and coiled it up and he's, Probably, you know, it's probably like that, you know, because his Goliath's head probably weighs like a, two bowling balls. He's holding it there, trophy, and everyone else is just going, what? All the guys are going, I wish I was him. <laughs> I wish I had the guts to do it. And David was a hero overnight, thrust to success overnight from nobody in obscurity to somebody that the nation knew 
And Saul said to him, verse 58, Whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Notice David didn't say, And oh, by the way, king, did you know that Samuel anointed me just a while back? Do you remember that? He didn't. He wasn't going to usurp authority. And that is the wonderful heart of David. God anointed him, and God, you're going to have to, do, you're going to, have to figure this out because I'm not going to, how, how can I get to be the king? You told me I was going to be the king, and I'm just going to rest and wait until you bring it to pass because I have no power to do, to, to do this, to make it happen. And David was patient, and he had to wait a number of years before it would come to pass. So who is the Goliath? Who or what is the Goliath in your life? Every one of us have a Goliath. It may be a situation that you're in, a circumstance. It could be a person. It could be a group of people. What is the mountain that's in front of you? What is your Goliath? How are you dealing with it? Are you going to try and go at it with your flesh? That's an easy thing to do. It's all, you know, usually what people do. Are you afraid of it? Of your Goliath, whatever that is? Are you running from it? Are you medicating yourself to insulate yourself against your Goliath? Where is your faith in God? I've got to ask myself the same question. Where is my faith in God when my Goliath is standing in front of me? And I've had a few. Where is our faith? And why are we trying to go in this battle in our own strength, in our own wisdom, and with our own resources? All those other resources are nothing. Jeremiah, God speaking through him, he said, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. A cistern is supposed to hold water, but every confidence that we have in anything else other than God is a broken cistern. It's supposed to hold water, but it doesn't really do its job, and therefore it's useless to us. But it doesn't keep us from trying to make something happen. It doesn't keep us from trying to do it in our own ingenuity or in our own strength or with our own gifts and talents or abilities. It doesn't keep us from doing it. Why? Because of our pride. Because of my pride. I need to trust the Lord. Psalm 121 says, I will lift my eyes to the hills. That hill could be an obstacle. That hill could be your Goliath. Notice, I will lift my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He who made heaven and earth, that's who my helper is. All of a sudden that mountain becomes not so significant anymore. But see, we don't know that unless we trust the Lord and step out in faith and watch what God does. I believe faith is often like a muscle. If we don't use it, it becomes atrophied and it becomes weak. And then we're unable and unwilling to use it. Pray, and then seek the Lord, and then step out in faith. Do the right thing, always. Do the right thing. Don't try to finagle it yourself. Trust the Lord. And when you have that victory, when you have that victory, you're going to share that with somebody else who needs to hear that. 
who's tempted to rest in the arm of the flesh, and you can say to them, you know what? I totally get it. However, I prayed to God, and he gave me a whole different thing. He gave me a whole different outlook on this. And I went at it this way, and I was truthful. I was honest. I, I went according to the will of God, and he took that Goliath down without me even having to worry and stress about it. And you know, isn't that the history? As you go through history, isn't that the story of the underdog? Whenever the odds are against you, how many times has that happened in history? It happens so much. And I think God allows that to prove that it's not all about might makes right. It's not all about the guy with the biggest gun wins. Sometimes this guy was a little kid with the, with the straw and this, you know, got the little spitball in his mouth. And he hits someone right in the eye and they can't see and takes down the enemy. And yet the guy's over there with his big bazooka and he's got rounds hanging off of it. It looks like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, and he's got blood all over him and he's got the big gun. And this little kid comes up. Happens so much. Trust the Lord. Finally, in Psalm 44, verse 6, the psalmist says, For I will not trust in my bow, nor shall my sword save me. But you have saved us from our enemies, and have put to shame those who hated us. In God we boast all day long, and praise your name forever. Selah. I love that. I'm going to boast in God. You know it's okay to boast in God? Wasn't that what David was doing? He wasn't boasting about himself. He wasn't saying to Goliath, you know what? I've gotten really used to using this sling. I can hit a branch at 50 yards with the right stone and his leather pouch. It's well-worn. I know it. I've proved it over and over again, and I can, I can do that. He wasn't boasting in anything. He was boasting in God. And it was about his reputation, not even his own. He, he saw himself, I think, as dead. David's like, I don't care. God anointed me. I know he's upon me because I can feel it. I, I think David could actually sense the reassurance in his own body as he was standing before Goliath. Nobody else could understand it. Nobody else knew it. They couldn't understand it, certainly. But David was standing there going, this is not a problem. Why are you guys shaking in your boots? And all them are disdaining him too. Has the world disdained you? you? You don't have the skills to take this job. Are you kidding me? So many more better qualified people for this job. But God. Isn't that the wonderful refrain? When the world comes at you with everything, with all of its armament and all of its noise and mirrors and loud music, but God. But God. Trust in the Lord. Trust him. And exercise that muscle of faith. But pray first. And you trust him. You do the right thing. Even if it hurts, do the right thing always. Leave the results up to God. Amen? Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, uh, this very graphic passage. 
Lord, there's so much in it, God, and we, we recognize, Lord, there's so much in us, Lord, that has so much, we have so much more to grow, Lord. I know I do as I, as I look at David's faith and, Lord, un, totally undaunted by the machinery of war and the, this man who was a seasoned war veteran, he was nonplussed by it all and yet considered himself nothing but something in your hand. And, Lord, you honored him. You honored this young man. Would you honor us, Father, as we seek to do your will? Lord, as we put off those things of the flesh, Lord, as we turn away from those, those elements, Lord, those things that have, have uh, never really paid off, God. Lord, your word is true. Help us to trust in you, to love you with all of our heart, God, that you would be the only thing that mattered in our life. May it be true of all of us, Lord. Please bless us, Lord. Forgive us for the times that we have been cowards. Forgive us for the time that we have walked away when you wanted us to stand. Simply to stand. And Lord, give us the courage and the strength that we need. And Lord, more importantly than all that, give us the baptism of your spirit. Lord, for we need that boldness, that strength of heart in you alone. We thank you for tonight, Lord. I pray that you would bless my brothers and sisters, Lord, and especially those who may be even challenged by this a little, a little much, Father, and maybe even feeling a little bit discouraged. Lord, I pray that they would not be discouraged, but rather be encouraged. Lord, you are the one who, it, the battle belongs to you. And we thank you for your goodness, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.